This is Football Social Daily. Heartbreak for Luton, delight for Arsenal. The Gunners with a rice and easy last minute goal at Kenilworth Road to secure a huge three points, which keeps them top of the Premier League. But it was pain for the Hatters. But does that performance give them some hope that they're more than good enough to stay in the Premier League this season? That was one of two Premier League games last night. The other at Molyneux, where Wolves won 1-0 against Burnley. And Gary O'Neill was quite calm after the final whistle because finally for once there was no VAR controversy. And after two games last night, there's another six to get stuck into this evening, including the tasty ties of Aston Villa against Manchester City in third against fourth in the Premier League. And Manchester United host a Chelsea side who haven't won at Old Trafford for, believe it or not, 10 years. Will that all change this evening? We'll talk about it on today's Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast with me, Niall McCorn, alongside Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. How are you doing, boys? Very well, very well. I'm doing quite well, yeah. Not bad. So did you go to the tip, Joel, or did you watch <laughs> <laughs> Luton against Arsenal? This is just tip social daily now. Just had to um, go and have a bath in Dettel just to get rid of all the germs from the tip. Um, but yeah, not this time. The tip's waiting for another moment. Maybe I'll go when United play Liverpool because I don't really want to be watching that. I'll tell you what, it was a good game between Luton and Arsenal. And actually, I was watching the Wolves against Burnley game. I only turned on the Arsenal game with about five minutes to go and it was 3-3 I think at that point. Then to see Erdegaard whip the ball in, Rice head it in and then get sucked in by those away fans behind the goal at Kenilworth Road. That felt like a significant moment in the Premier League season. So let's start with that because there's loads to get through on today's podcast. Arsenal with a victory that sh- which gives them another three points and puts them clear further at the top of the Premier League table, Marley. But did that Declan Rice goal feel as significant to you as someone with a vested interest in the top four slash title race as it did to me as a neutral? Yeah, I think it's um, it's one of those wins where you look at it and you say, you only sort of win that if you've got something about you. Like, you know, I think Arsenal of a few years ago never, never, ever win that game. I think, you know, it's just... Uh, it's that sort of inner steel and fight that they're showing. They're showing that a lot um, in the past few weeks. You know, they've they've scored late goals and they've nicked points where they probably, you know, you could argue they don't deserve it. Um, probably wasn't the case last night. I think obviously they deserve something from the game, but you know, it they haven't always played well, but they always pick up points, and that's that's ominous for a title race. That's exactly what you need. Um, and sometimes you even need more than that because they probably had a little bit of that last season and still got pipped by uh, by Man City in the end. But um, yeah, the you know the Rice header it was it was a big big moment um, from a big big player who's becoming really really important for them. Um, I always think Rice's um, goal scoring is slightly underrated. Um, he can shoot, he can win a header in the box like he did last night. Um, he's always a problem, and you know, 105 million or whatever he was, it's money well spent. Because if they win, uh, if they win the league by any less than two points, you know, you could pinpoint it all the way back to Declan Rice against Luton Town at the at the Kenny um, popping up with uh, with a goal like that. Yeah, Rice, obviously someone who cost Arsenal a lot of money, but if he keeps popping up with goals like that, Joel and they end up winning the Premier League this season, that 100 million is going to seem like pocket change. It's going to seem like an absolute bargain to Arsenal because that was a huge goal, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and it's not the first time he's done it this season. He did it against my team United back in, what, September time in that 96th minute goal. And I think, I'm sure he's done it in another game. I can't quite remember, but there's been a number of occasions where he's really stepped up with massive goals for Arsenal. And I think in the summer, it was probably just... I would say the most ambitious signing Arsenal have made since probably Mesut Ozil, just in terms of the calibre of player. I mean, obviously Ozil at the time was a way better player, way more established. But I mean, in terms of who was wanting Declan Rice, it was between Pep Guardiola and Mikel Arteta. To then get him onto Arsenal was just such a big, almost psychological advantage, I would say, because they are going toe-to-toe, aren't they, City and Arsenal in these last couple of years? But it's crazy because I feel like I've got the kiss of death at the moment. I, I said there was no great goals in the Premier League and then Garnacho hits the best goal I've ever seen from an, from an overhead kick. I say yesterday Arsenal got the best defensive record in the league and they're going ship three to Luton. I don't know what else to say now. Man United are going to get battered by Liverpool in 10 days time. Let's hope that. <laughs> let's hope that's the opposite. I think I wouldn't jump um, too far ahead. You've got Chelsea to worry about tonight, yeah, which we'll come know, on to a bit later on today's podcast. <laughs> yeah. But let's look at Luton, Joel, because you said that Arsenal have the best defence in the league. But Luton scored three past them. And we know at Kenilworth Road, that's going to be where they're at their strongest. That's when they're, you know, they're going to have the benefit of the home crowd. That's probably where they're most likely to win their points this season. But they managed to score three goals and very nearly got a point out of a team that are expected to be firmly challenging for the title this season. This is a team who are firmly expected by most to be bottom of the pile in the Premier League. So, you know, again, I'll bring it up. I said Luton to stay up. Are you starting to come around to the dark side now after performances like that? Your Luton line is almost as prevalent as your Portsmouth line. I think it's starting to overtake (laughs) it at this point in terms of the cliche. But I mean, when you look at that, Luton starting 11 last night it was actually quite heartwarming to see the likes of Ross Barkley Andros Townsend these almost streets will never forget type players who just came kind of risen from the ashes like a phoenix and I mean Ross Barkley last night he was awesome I mean he had such a good game he rolled back the years to when he was a 20 year old at Everton and everyone thought god is he the next Wayne Rooney in the way he was playing uh I love the the combination that Townsend and Barkley had to make it 3-2 to Luton as well but I've spoken to a few Arsenal fans last night and asked them like what they actually thought of the game and many of them said it was probably the most difficult game they've had this season not in terms of the quality but in terms of how difficult it was to break Luton down for the whole game and the fact they just were relentless just a nuisance because if you're a promoted side you don't want to just lay down and die to these big teams you actually want to you know go toe-to-toe with them what's there to fear especially when you're at home and I just think for for Luton, it, especially against that Liverpool uh, against Liverpool the other week as well, where they got that one or draw. Obviously, Luis Diaz got that last minute, well, not last minute, but like in the 80th minute, an equaliser. They are they're a team that are not going to go down quietly compared to let's say Burnley, for example, or Sheffield, who I've been not impressed with at all when they played at their home grounds. Whereas at Luton, it's a different kind of different kind of test, I would say. So if they are to stay up, the Kenny has got to become. Jose Mourinho Stamford Bridge from 04 to 07 in terms of a fortress and I would love to go and see that ground by the way so you're not changing your mind yet not yet way too soon to say way 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 too soon I still think they will go down but they're going to be a streets never forget side I'm telling you that much well I said do they have a shade of the Blackpools about them yesterday and maybe that sort of result even though it was a defeat might lend itself to that opinion what about you Marley did that change your mind at all that game yesterday 
No, I think it's the opposite of of Joel with me. Um, Joel gets everything like gets proved wrong immediately, and then last night I said everything's a free hit for Luton, so they might as well just go for it and treat it like a cup game. And they went for it. They nearly won. How is, how is that? That is the most obvious point I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, but they could Of course it's a free hit. Yeah, but they could have just rolled over and and lost and gone, ah, it's Arsenal. But instead, they had, <laughs> like, they had a proper go. Look, just because you get... Well, done their best Moses impression. Just because you get everything wrong, one, Joel. Done a guard of honour for Arsenal Yeah, just in fact, December. Yeah. Just, just Joel being sour grapes, he never gets anything right in it. But <laughs> I can't believe you come back with that. I said they would give it a go, and I'm right. All right, they then. did give it a go. Got, they, he was clinging on to Ten Hag, not goals. rolling the red carpet out for nearly a year. So, <laughs> oh, hey, the agenda against me on this podcast is uh, is horrendous. But at the Christmas party, I'm going to bring a carpet just for you. I'm going to roll it out. Okay. We do have the Football Social okay. Daily Christmas festivities on the horizon. So if you are a regular listener to this podcast, then you'll probably notice a change in the <laughs> in the um, tone and the voices uh, of the boys uh, some point next week. Maybe we should do some. Maybe we should record a podcast at the Christmas. Let's not. What an intoxicated <laughs> podcast. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, let's not. We've got a good thing going on here, so uh, let's uh, let's keep let's keep it. Um, yeah, but now look, Luton, Luton were good. I think it, it helps that David Raya is probably the most overrated goalie I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, he disgraced himself say, again. I was just going to say, Niall, I'm going to I'm going to take your script off you for a second and play host. Let's talk about the goalkeeping situation of Arsenal because this is one that we have all been proven absolutely perfectly right. I remember when we were all sat in the studio when this transfer happened and we all saw through the absolute BS that is Mikel Arteta claiming he wants to play both keepers, Hologramsdale should stay, all this rubbish and nonsense and suddenly... Raya, what does he have differently to Ramsdale at the moment? Please tell me the points because I genuinely do not see. It. He looked like a little elf in the middle of that in the middle of the box when he tried to leap for that corner and got absolutely out jumped by the Luton defender. Tell me, what does what does Raya have apart from a Spanish passport that Ramsdale does not have? A little a little bit of extra footwork. That's about it. But it doesn't really do anything. He might yeah, but Ramsdale might be good at tango and salsa. You don't know. I doubt it. He's from Sheffield, isn't he? <laughs> um, My immediate yeah. reaction to that would be when Ramsdale starts to flap, he radiates panic. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Yeah. Say Ramsdale gives the ball away. It's like putting Mentos <laughs> in a bottle of Coke. You yeah. know, it, it just, there's there's a little bit of, there's a small pause and then all of a sudden it's just eruption. And you can see that when he gives the ball away, he just flies out, rushes out, tries to make, you know, make amends or correct his mistake. I don't feel like you get that with David Raya. That's not to say that one's better than the other. I just feel like the main difference that I've noticed, and I don't watch a great deal of Arsenal maybe compared to other people, but that's the one thing I've noticed that Ramsdale gives off more of a panicky kind of aura when he does make an error. Whereas David Raya doesn't feel like he's got that about him as much. That's not to say one makes more mistakes than the other, because I don't think that's the case. I'm just saying Ramsdale feels more erratic, feels a little bit more unpredictable, scatty. Yeah, unpredictable. Yeah, yeah I, I I get your point there. Um, however, as as more time goes on and Raya makes more mistakes, you know, could that seep into his 
his game, you know, in, into that defence. Um, you know, his, his, his goalkeeping for Barkley's goal was horrendous. I mean, it, it he turned into Hologramsdale. It just went through him. You know, it just went, <laughs> yeah, just literally, literally holog- hologram. <laughs> Hologram. <laughs> Full of puns today. This is this is great. These these could stick as well. This could be the new uh, Valt Carthorst. Um <laughs> But yeah, he was awful. And then for the you know before that for the corner, if anyone who can use his arms gets out jumped by a man who can't use his arms, there's a problem. There's a big problem. And he comes out and I, I, ha- is it Osho that puts it? Hang in? on a sec. It's madness. Peter Shilton's on the phone. He wants a word. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. He Peter Shilton, don't get me started on him. <laughs> God, yeah, but uh, it's just awful. Awful goalkeeping. Nearly cost his team, got bailed out. Um, but people might forget it, but we won't forget it when, when it keeps coming down to it and he keeps making mistakes. It's uh, He's no he's no clear upgrade on Ramsdale. That's that's my issue. And and when you come out with the quotes, like Joel mentioned before, of he's going to play in there and, and he's going to play as well. If Ramsdale doesn't play the next game, what what can you do? You know what can you do as a as a number two goalkeeper if the number one guy is making mistakes and the attitude comes that well everyone makes mistakes. The instant question is well I made mistakes last year and I didn't get a chance I got binned off so where's the where's the thing we're both on God knows how much money a week I'd say they're on pretty similar wages which makes no sense anyway. So yeah. Weird. Well, speaking of number two goalkeepers, Wolves didn't have Jose Sa last night. The Portuguese goalkeeper was ruled out with injury that incidentally he picked up in the game at the weekend against Arsenal. So Dan Bentley was preferred in goal for Gary O'Neill's side. And they went on to beat Burnley 1-0 at Molyneux after a mistake at the back from Vincent Company's team gave He Chan Huang the opportunity to score his ninth goal of the season. And Wolves have won some big games this season. They've beaten Manchester City, they've beaten Spurs, Joel. But Gary O'Neill, after the game, mentioned how that was one of the biggest wins of the season so far. And maybe it shouldn't be underestimated just how big a win that is. Why do you think he feels that way after beating Burnley 1-0? It's probably just the relief that he can talk after the game about his team and not some robots sitting in a field in Wolverhampton somewhere trying to decide what the rules of the game are probably because you know without Huang by the way in his goals I think Wolves would be in such big trouble because he's come out with some massive massive moments in a lot of games yeah eight, eight goals prem, yeah. eight mm, goals this incre- and, and the fact that he's had to take the mantle of Pedro Neto who also was I think I believe he was second in the assist table just before he got injured that's a massive, massive miss. I think he had eight assists, yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. this is what I mean. You've got Talisman now starting to come up from the field from Wolves after last year where it was always Ruben Neves scoring a, a really good goal or assisting or it was Nunes um, making a really good performance in the game. So I'm just so pleased for O'Neill because I think this will just be a moment of just absolute and utter relief that they are now even further from the relegation zone. But the fact that he doesn't have to come out again and talk about something which is totally away from his team's performances because they've been really impressive. Well, that's why I think he does think the win is so important, Joel. And as much as you're right, he probably is relieved that he can actually finally talk about his team and the football match and not the VAR decisions. Because Burnley are in the relegation zone, Wolves beating them widens the gap between the two sides. And I think that is one of the main reasons why he is so happy with the win. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, like we said at the start of the season, they looked pretty doomed 
when Julian Lopetegui randomly left without almost a warning and then Gary O'Neill comes in does a great job with Bournemouth I think I can't remember if any of us had Wolves near the relegation zone in our predictions but I think they were pretty close and that's purely because they just looked like they had no ammunition up front I mean he'd even lost Raul Jimenez I know he hadn't been very prolific for them last season but they were still losing people in their team who can get goals so that's why I'm just really pleased that their forward line's starting to fire and I'm sure when Pedro Neto comes back again they could start aiming upwards rather than looking down this season which I think they truly believe and I really hope as well because I know last episode I kind of said that Wolves I've got a bit of a soft spot for them this season I would just love to see Bournemouth go down now I can't even lie with the way that they treated Gary O'Neill and now their owners are probably thinking he actually is a very good coach with the fact that he's got basically zero tools at his disposal and he's still getting the maximum out of his team. I mean, I think it speaks so highly of how good he is as a coach right now. Well, Gary O'Neill's side, winners by a goal to nil over Burnley. That keeps Burnley on seven points, 19th and in the relegation zone. As for Wolves, that moves them up to 12th, heading into tonight's fixtures in the Premier League. But obviously that table is set to shuffle and change because there are six games this evening. Brighton, Brentford, Palace, Bournemouth, Fulham, Forest, Sheffield United, Liverpool. But the two that we're going to focus on next on Football Social Daily are at the top at, well, Aston Villa Man City is at the top end of the table. Manchester United-Chelsea has become somewhat of a mid-table clash this season. We'll talk about that next on FSD. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast with me, Niall McCorn, Joel Tudor, Marley Anderson here as well. And we're going to talk about Villa, Manchester City and Manchester United against Chelsea. And uh, I'm not sure if Joel's quite over the fact that I've just called Chelsea, Manchester United a mid-table clash this season. But sorry for you, Joel. That's the way it is at the moment. Two sides that aren't where they want to be in the Premier League table. Chelsea, obviously, in this transition period. Manchester United, you could argue, in this transition decade. Something you've mentioned loads of times on the podcast. And even though Chelsea haven't quite been at it under Pochettino in the way they would have liked, all of the pressure and all of the focus going into this game at Old Trafford is on Manchester United because of the fact that the club have banned certain media publications from press conferences after recent reports about fractures in the dressing room. Ten Hag has said he wants unity from his players. He wants unity from the fan base. And obviously the club is called Manchester United, but it hasn't felt United for a while. On the pitch, off the pitch, I guess... A win at home under the lights against a team like Chelsea is always going to help. And that should be the bare minimum for every game that Manchester United go into. But from your perspective as a fan, where do you sit? Are you apathetic to the situation? Are you sympathetic to the situation? How do you feel? I'm just indifferent to it all because it's been going on for years and years and years now. I feel like I say the same script every other year when it comes to United because it's the same issues that we're seeing but just under a different manager every single time. There's always been reports of a fractured dressing room. There's reports of he's lost half the dressing room, player leaks, etc, etc. It always just seems to happen when the going gets really tough. And it's strange to me this fixture because... United seem to be going into this with a little bit more pressure, I would say, than Chelsea, which I find quite bizarre because Chelsea have spent a significant amount of money in this last 18 months. And yet it's almost like they have a free crack a, a free crack at the whip when it comes to the season. 
I mean, you look at their position at the moment, and granted, I know they've sold half a team and they bought half a team, but they should also be under the same amount of expectation as United yeah. are. I know They're where you're coming club. from, but I want to play devil's advocate here. Chelsea won the Champions League two years ago. When was the last time Manchester United won one of the big trophies? Premier League, Champions League. That's the difference. That's the difference, in my opinion. Of course, and United are a way bigger club than Chelsea, so they'll also always be held to way higher regard than Chelsea. That's just the facts of the game at the moment. But with the way in which both clubs are going, it's just strange to see them both face off in this kind of way, where for Chelsea, they get a great win and then they get battered the next weekend, whereas United so infrequent with the results. I mean, I spoke last week about the United and the Newcastle game and you asked me how do I feel about it. I didn't really have any expectation because I knew what kind of performance we were going to see from the players. And when you start getting predictable in terms of the fight and the desire, I mean, they did a really good analysis I saw online of, you know, I see Roy Keane constantly talking about they need to run more, they need to run more. I don't even agree with that. You need to just run correctly. You don't have to just run around like headless chicken and burning yourself out, but actually run as a group, run as a collective, actually have a bit of method into your madness of and how to press. Do you know what? Paul Scholes was actually talking about this when he was appearing as a TV pundit recently. He says, some of the players don't run enough. I think that's clear. Some of the players do run enough. One of those players that does run enough is Bruno Fernandes, but He's almost all over the pitch all the time that it's actually difficult tactically for some of his teammates to know where he is. And actually, that was an interesting angle to take at the tactical approach of Eric Ten Hag. And in fact, some players are giving too much effort if that's such a... I mean, I don't think you can ever give too much effort. But what Paul Scholes was saying was that Fernandez almost runs too much into certain areas and actually that detracts from other parts of the pitch. But I don't want to pin the blame on one player because as Joel says, Marley, it is down to Ten Hag and the rest of the team as well. Yeah, it's it's mistargeted um, energy, isn't it? And running, you can't go... Yeah, If you're going to run around a lot, there's leading a press and then there's... Or triggering a press. And then there's the tactical thing of behind it of no one else knowing what to do. You know, I've played play football you play Sunday league play seven aside if you go and press you expect a teammate to be to be behind you and sometimes you get a lad that's fitter than everyone else and you can you can't go with him because he's too fit and he's too fast sometimes so you sit in and I think Bruno Fernandes is kind of doing that a bit at Man United but when he's running around he's trying to lead by example and I almost feel a little bit sorry for him at times because he is trying and he's he's showing that he's trying um, and he he doesn't get the back up from, you know, if you're going to go around and press and you expect Anthony Martial to back you up, it's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? If you you shut down a centre-back and you expect Martial to step up on the left-back so there's no easy pass out and he's not there, you can't really be surprised at this point in in time. And that's that's one of Man United's biggest problems. They, they need to sort that out and it's not an easy, um, it's not an easy fix. They're going to lose Martial for free in the summer. No one's going to buy him now. So they're, they're resigned to losing 60 million on him. And that 60 million came in like 2016, 2017 or something like that. So that's a, that's a lot of money down the drain. They're going to have to sort everything out, really. Bruno Fernandes and Mount and Hoyland and all this. So. Well, a lot of people have used the term rinse and repeat to describe Manchester United. And you mentioned the term lost the dressing room. And that's what Manchester United were upset about. And that's why they've banned certain media organisations from press conferences because of 
the notion that Eric Ten Hag has lost up to 50% of the dressing room, one report said. But Joel, you just need to search Manchester United lost dressing room into Google and you'll figure out that you can put any of the previous managers post Sir Alex Ferguson's name in front of that article and you'll find something about them losing the dressing room in inverted commas. So Eric Ten Hag naturally has come out to respond and defend himself, if you will. And he said, I know we will get where we want to be because see my record everywhere I was every season, I got my targets. If we stick together, stick to the plan and the strategy we'll get to where we want to be. Is that Ten Hag being defensive or is that him being honest and actually being accurate about how he sees the next few weeks? I feel like this losing the dressing room headline is such a surface level way and an easy way to describe a bad situation. I don't believe he's lost the dressing room at all. I think it's more so the dressing room doesn't really know what is needed. It's like, like Marley said, a bit misdirected in terms of their approach. You can see it on the pitch. Whenever you see a really well-structured side, I'd say the best well-structured sides, let's say Manchester City, for example, or Liverpool, when Liverpool lose the ball, you know exactly what their structure is in terms of getting it back. It's not like you've got Mo Salah just randomly running around trying to win it back. They kind of move forward as a team, they move back as a team, they move together as a team. It's almost like, you know, when you watch Rocky and Rocky's training with Apollo Creed and they're doing that montage where they're like dancing together with the footwork. It's, it's like they're in synchronicity together. And I feel like with United, it's almost like individuals playing their own game at times, which really frustrates the hell, the hell out of me. But is that down to the individuals not taking on the instructions or is that down to the manager not being able to get the instructions to those individuals? Because this is the big issue that Manchester United have. Clearly, Eric Ten Hag is saying, I want them to play in a certain way and they're not taking it on board. Or is Eric Ten Hag not getting that message across clearly enough? And I don't know whether the two are mutually exclusive or not, but it feels like there's a certain section of Manchester United fans who are blaming the players because they've, to use Roy Keane's term, thrown previous managers under the bus with their performances. And there's another section of the Manchester United supporters who do pin the blame on Ten Hag because he's had long enough now to get that message across and it still isn't getting through. Yeah, it's almost palliative in a sense, isn't it? Because you've just gone through all those articles there where it says lost the dressing room or who do we blame, the players or the manager? It's, it's a case of both, to be honest, because when you look at Ten Hag's quotes about how he coached his Ajax side and he said, I don't want Man United to play the way Ajax played because that's Ajax and this is Manchester United. Okay, fair enough, but as a coach, you usually have a one-term philosophy in terms of how you want to approach a game. And he's brought in a good six, seven, eight players now. His players, the likes of Mason Mount, Amrabat, Hoyland, all these different types. Whether they were his first choices or not, I'm very, very cautious about that. I genuinely don't believe that a lot of them were first choices to begin with. And that's why I believe, personally, he does have trouble integrating his ideas. But... At the same time, it shouldn't take this long to still see no identity. Last season, when we won, just before we won the Carabao Cup, it felt like the team had a way of playing, you know, where Rashford was super potent in the counter-attack and we had a, a midfield like Casemiro who was leading the line. Obviously, we've got Martinez and Casemiro missing, which, are, you know, it's, it's, it's monumental, isn't it? The missing pieces that we have in the actual puzzle itself but the team really needs to fix up quickly because these next coming fixtures coming up where you've got Bayern Munich at home, Chelsea at home, Liverpool away, 
they could be devastating considering the amount of goals that we've shipped this season. I mean, you look in the Champions League alone, the amount of goals we've conceded is the most of any English club in the European Champions League campaign, which is pathetic. So I'm actually quite worried for this December period. I can't even lie. That's why this game tonight, they need to show the fans something. If it's running around like head- headless chickens, well, so be it, but just actually show a bit of aggression. Chelsea never win at Old Trafford, Marley. They haven't won there since 2013. And even with that terrible record at Old Trafford, do you think they'll just be sat there nice and quietly, going under the radar, letting all of the chaos unfold, and just quietly hoping that they can use the turbulence at Manchester United to their advantage tonight? Yes, exactly what they've got to do. I think Chelsea have shown signs of improvement in the last few weeks. A um, couple of good wins, you know, the 4-4 with Man City, that's pretty much as good as a win because you're expecting to get absolutely hurt there. But, you know, we're beating Brighton, especially when you're sort of hanging on with uh, with 10 men, is, um, is, is all sort of something to go towards a big result. And, you know, I don't think there's there's been a better time to play Man United in the last few years than than now. So yeah, you could. Um, I mean, I was looking at the the betting odds um, last night, and Chelsea are favourites to win the game. And for any away team to be to be favourite to win a game at Old Trafford is is a sign of how how bad things are. Um, so it'd be interesting. I'll be in Manchester tonight, actually, not at the at the thing, but I'll be able to feel feel the disappointment uh, ringing around Manchester if uh, if that's the case. Uh, come sort of half nine, ten o'clock. Well, you might feel the disappointment ringing around one half of Manchester, maybe not the other, depending on the result that Manchester City get. They're kicking off at the same time, but they're away in Birmingham to take on an Aston Villa team who are looking to gate crash that top four conversation. Some say they already have. Villa against City is what we're going to talk about next on FSD. This is Football Social Daily, final part of the show. If you like what you hear, why not hit subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform? And that way, when we release a new show, you'll receive a notification saying that the show is ready to download. Right. We've already discussed Chelsea against Manchester United, which in most Premier League seasons, you'd imagine would be a top four clash. But on this occasion, it's Villa against Manchester City, which is the game that some people would prefer to watch tonight. It's City in third against Villa in fourth. 30 points plays 29 points respectively after four games, which is quite a mad thing to say when Aston Villa are in the conversation. Aston Villa, of course, have been dominant at Villa Park and they're at home again tonight, Marley, against the champions who have drawn three games in a row. And Pep Guardiola has been very, very bullish in his press conference and he's basically thrown the gauntlet down to his players. And he says, if we play like we have done in the last three games for the rest of the season, we'll go on to win the Premier League. And he mentioned about how difficult it was to win four in a row. He even teed off on some of the Sky Sports pundits like Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher and Micah Richards. I guess he's kind of issuing a challenge to his players because he knows he's going to be in for a tough ride at Villa Park tonight with the way things have gone this season. Yep, he knows it's um, it's time to kick on now. We talk about City getting better after Christmas. It's, it's nearly Christmas now. It's time to go from third gear, which I'd argue they've been in so far, into fourth, ready to hit into fifth in the, the second half of the season type of thing. So, yeah, I think um, this is a big game. Villa will be confident. Villa, Villa think they're him to use a to use a a little a famous bowling analogy. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it is what it is. They they think they're there. Um, they're confident. 
I think this game is a sign of of whether they're there or not. Um, City will <laughs> City will know that, and they will. I think they'll be up for it, Man City. Um, it'd be really interesting. I expect City to win because I expect them to take it really seriously, um, and I expect them to to get the result. But you never know. It's uh, Villa. I think Villa got a hundred percent record at home this season. So they do. You know, I, in the Premier. I, yeah, I personally don't think like Ollie Watkins is good enough to to be the difference against a top top side like that. Um, but I'm willing to be proved wrong. I want him. I want him to do well. He'll but score twice tonight. Now he'll probably score. This will be my Joel moment of uh, getting everything <laughs> wrong. So there you go. He's in my fantasy team, so I win either way. I don't care. But it is what it is. You know, we'll we'll see if he can do it. Um, I do worry about him against the best teams. I you know, there's not a, a team in the league I wouldn't back Haaland to score against, for example, or even or even like Nunes, even though he's he's crazy at times and he, he misses the ones he should score and he scores the ones he should miss, but I don't get that feeling from Watkins, so he needs to he needs to kick on and uh and prove it against the best teams in the league. A lot of angry Man City fans and a lot of angry Man City players as well after that decision at the end of the Tottenham game made by Simon Hooper where he waved play on and then blew his whistle to stop the game as Grealish was running towards goal. And I mentioned as we reacted to that game on this podcast that as much as that was a terrible decision and they have a right to be angry, also maybe they should have looked at the chances that they squandered during that game against Spurs. Doku hit the post, Haaland missed two chances. You'd expect him to really convert routine for a striker of that calibre. Do you think they're going to channel that anger tonight against Villa? A bit like what Marley's been saying, Joel? Yeah, potentially. I'd be more worried if, if I was Guardiola, if the team weren't creating chances and they weren't scoring goals. I mean, the fact that they could have scored six realistically that game, I don't think he's worried at all. And that's why he came out in the press conference and namely called out Jamie Carragher for never winning a Premier League title, which I was a massive <laughs> fan of. <laughs> he always seems to be the one who gets kicked when it comes to that department. But I feel like with Villa's home record, it's a little bit suspect in terms of the way everyone's describing it. Because if you look at the actual fixtures of who they've played, they've not played any of the top five at home yet. So this is the first real test of, is Villa Park really the fortress everyone says it is? Granted, it's amazing they've got a 100% record. It's not easy to do. But it's very easier to say how great it is when you've not played against the sides who are going for the title for example and obviously they've got Arsenal at home the next game as well so I think we're really going to see what Villa are made of this season I think if they come out of these two games unscathed and get let's say four points out of six who knows maybe they can start dreaming a little bit in terms of top four potential but I would temper the expectations because City on the back of an awkward game where they maybe should have won it I wouldn't like to be that team who has to face the brunt of that so let's see what happens but it's going to be a really I think competitive game tonight if they win their next two games that puts them on 35 points one behind Arsenal who are currently top and obviously it depends on what Liverpool do in terms of who's top of the league at that point but you say if they win the next two games or get points that could sort of firm them up as top four contenders well, might even do more than that. If they beat City and beat Arsenal, I know both at home, but if they do that, they go beyond top four contenders, don't they? It's a, it's a significant statement if they do do that. But I know that we almost overlooked that Bournemouth game when we were talking about these games and obviously they went and drew there. So it's not as if it's a sure fit thing. But again, if they can get points out of these two teams who will be there in May to get the title... 
I honestly wouldn't put it past them to continue maintaining this kind of form. But I'm not saying they're going to win the title, but top four aspirations, 100%. I can't see them winning these two games either, even though they're at home. And that's just maybe the cynic in me that's so used to seeing the big clubs kind of put a stop to these smaller... Villa aren't a small club, but you know what I mean? These smaller clubs that are, are kind of coming through and trying to challenge the hierarchy at the top end of the Premier League. That being said, though... Manchester City keep conceding goals. So Joel mentioned, Marley, that Pep might not be concerned as much because his side are creating chances. They just aren't taking them. What about the other end of the pitch? Because a lot of City fans seem to think that they've missed John Stones immeasurably in the last few weeks. They conceded four against Chelsea, three against Spurs, two against Leipzig in the Champions League. They're leaky at the moment and that will give Villa some confidence. Yeah, it will. Um, And... You know, there's there's never a good time to play against Man City, but maybe if they're second guessing themselves in defence and things like that, you know, maybe that is there's a uh, something to hang on to there. I think they'll probably get chances in the game. It's just uh, you know taking them and then hoping you don't concede too many chances yourself because Man City you can't give them three chances because chances are they're going to score two goals. The the game against um, against Spurs. You know that could have ended eight five or whatever it whatever it may have been because they missed chances. Harlem missed practically an open net. Doku hit the post. I think um, Alvarez hit the post. They were they went close. So they they open you up at, at at the back, but they will give you a couple of chances. And it's it's those moments that uh, the game is decided on. So we'll see if Villa can take them because the pressure that they, you know, I said before they're ready for it and they think they're they're there. It's the pressure of knowing that and still performing against City when you know psychologically you can do it, you know, and you're almost expected to to put up a really good performance. It's can they deal with that? That's the next stage of Villa because if you're gonna be a good team, you then have to be good enough to go toe to toe with the best teams in the league. And I think think they've got the manager for it. I think have they got the players for it? Um, we'll see. I think also this is a a big night for Liverpool. Because they take on a Sheffield United side who have just sat their manager, Joel, and they've got Chris Wilder returning to the building. Obviously, never easy to go to a ground where the home crowd would be galvanised because a new manager, club legend, is back in the building. And even though Sheffield United are bottom of the Premier League, Liverpool, they should expect to beat them. And with Villa playing City tonight, third against fourth, that gives them a chance to flex their muscles in terms of this fluctuating title race as well, doesn't it? Yeah, the new manager bounce phenomenon is going to be tested tonight. I don't know what it is with that phenomenon. It's never been scientifically proven, but there's something in the air when it comes to new managers coming into clubs, especially while they're coming back to a club. And that's a kind of different, I think that's a next tier of the phenomena. But I wouldn't put it past <laughs> Liverpool to go. Something in the air, I like it. It's like that, um, remember that Cadbury advert with the gorilla? Oh, in the, uh, <laughs> the Phil Collins playing the drums yeah <laughs> I can feel it come maybe every time there's a new manager in the Premier League they should just like get the guy in the gorilla suit to play the drums before kick it's like some inauguration <laughs> ceremony with all this <laughs> with all the incense <laughs> sticks just blowing out into the air <laughs> um I wouldn't put it past Liverpool absolutely demolishing them though tonight I mean Liverpool are in pretty tantalizing form when you look at the forward line I think at the back they are still a little bit suspect 
and I still think they can be got at in some areas, especially because the left-back situation, I still feel like down that area, and even the area that Trent occupies can still be got at, but I would never be favourable of a club going to a new manager bounce stadium, especially their stadium, so I think it's all to play for tonight. All right, well, six Premier League games to feast upon this evening. Don't forget, tomorrow on the podcast, we'll pick through the best of the action from those matches, including, of course, Manchester United, Chelsea and Villa, Manchester City. And to stay up to date with the show, the best thing to do is hit subscribe or follow on whichever podcast platform you use. That way, when there's a new show ready, you'll be notified straight away. And you can also stay in touch with us via the social media channels. Link to those are in the description. And of course, the Telegram group, which the link to is in the description as well but from joel marley and myself that's it for another episode of football social daily we'll catch you on the next one bye for now football social daily is a voice work sport production for the sports social podcast network